Hello, and welcome back to Confessions of a Therapist, The Code. I'm your host, Tanya Logan, and on today's episode, I will be sitting with my guest, Carl Boone. Carl is a certified addictions counselor. He has a master's in criminal justice administration. He currently serves as senior director of recovery support services and compliance for one of the largest nonprofit agencies in the District of Columbia. Carl stopped by the code to share how he experienced and continues to experience the pandemic professionally and personally. I hope you enjoy the episode and come back to listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Confessions of a Therapist, The Coat. I am so excited for today's episode because I am speaking with one of my good friends, Mr. Carl Boone. Not only is he one of my good friends, but he is a colleague, and he's one of our biggest servants in recovery. Right now, Carl serves as a senior director for one of the largest nonprofits in DC. Not only that, he lends his service and his volunteerism to many nonprofits and reentry programs in Washington, DC. So welcome, Mr. Boone. How are you? Oh, I'm doing so well. Thank you for having me. And again, such an illustrious opening. I had to ask myself who, who she's talking about again, but thank you so much. You know, you're amazing. So <laughs> let's get into it. Sure. So, um, like I said, the coat confessions of a therapist. I try to lend space for clinicians to tell their stories, their challenges, um, and any other uh, wins and losses that they may have. And these episodes, we're going to fo- focus on specifically uh, how you fared during the pandemic. So, mm-hmm. first, let's get into what you do and um, in this world of mental health. Tell me a little bit about that, so we, our listeners can get a better picture of who you are. Sure. I think uh, at my heart and core, I'm a a certified addictions counselor. Uh, That's part of my story. And I'm really passionate about providing meaningful services to those who have uh, suffered from uh, substance use disorders and those of us who are just actively using, haven't maybe been diagnosed, but uh, are definitely seeing a ton of negative consequences as a result of uh, using uh, drugs and or alcohol. So that's ultimately what I do. I uh, try to move people through the stages of change uh, to help them get to a place where they can make healthier choices and ultimately improve the quality of their life. And normally that means uh, with the absence of those mood altering chemicals and uh, drugs. That's amazing. Love it. Um, so just to give the listeners a brief history of our history, um, that we met when we both were working at some, and that's mm-hmm. how I came to know how amazing you are um, and how passionate you are about your service with persons with recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, so what brought you to this work initially? Well, um, I guess the work that was done for me, uh, in hindsight, I realized that I too suffered in a lot of the same ways of the people that I serve. And I was fortunate enough to be directly impacted by somebody who gave freely of themselves to to help uh, tap into a space, a part of me that did not want to live the way I was living. They were able to tap into that small space and help nurture it and grow it. And my life has been forever changed for it. And now that's all I see is that anybody can, uh, with assistance, improve the quality of their life wherever they are. And so that's my passion, but also my purpose. Okay. Fantastic. 
So your position now for this nonprofit, which is an amazing nonprofit, um, you guys do great work. So tell me a little bit about your role. Sure. Uh, right now, as a senior director, my <clears throat> I have a multi-layered role, but as it relates to recovery support, my job is to oversee uh, the direct provision of services around uh, the reduction in relapses, uh, create activities that, that lend itself to more proactive measures to find out what is causing a lot of the individuals that transition through our programs to relapse. And so we have an amazing staff of individuals who are equally as invested in uh, providing these services across multiple housing programs. Okay. okay. Yeah. So is it just housing or you guys are doing some addictions um, prevention programs as well? Yes, we do specific pre uh, addiction prevention programs. Uh, we can get people into direct treatment. We can get people into outpatient treatment. We also have a, a program called the Rapid Reengagement Program that can help reinitiate that recovery process for individuals who may have uh, lost a tool or two that would enable them to stay clean, which is highly likely for individuals in recovery. So there's always a non-judgmental space. Uh, we get back with individuals, see what was working, see what maybe they lacked on, and then just try to replace that with something healthy and get them back on track. So. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like great work and rewarding work at that. Very. Um, so I'm glad to hear you're doing these this great work to make change. I mm -hmm. appreciate that. You Thank know. you. I think people don't appreciate us enough, you know, as we move through the pandemic, we all talked about these persons on the front line, but I think people forget that mental health clinicians from all facets are part of that front line. You know, you as a certified substance abuse um, counselor, uh, yeah, counselor, you know, you're doing the same thing. And as your role as a senior director, so you have a multifaceted position. So you're definitely, um, providing services, supervision, and what else? Um, uh, I think the biggest thing is I'm always challenged to model a certain behavior, a certain standard of, of, of service. Okay. And so that's what is probably the most important. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about some of the challenges, if any, um, you face during this pandemic as I would say as a manager. Great question. Um, some of the challenges I was, I would probably start off with, uh, adjusting to each and every person's personal impact with the pandemic. And, and how that shows up at work. Uh, for instance, uh, someone I'm supervising has an elderly mother at home mm -hmm. uh, that contracted COVID. Uh, the expectation of how they show up to work, how often they show up to work, how well they're able to then supervise and pour into their staff. I need to create space for how that's going to be adjusted uh, versus someone else who just lost a loved one as a direct result of COVID still need to grieve and try to come to work, uh, not being able to see their family members off in the, in the normal way that we have been doing as human beings. And so, again, just creating that space to adjust for each person to see what they need and, and being able to lessen my own expectations of, about what level or quality uh, of service that they can actually provide. Okay. 
So can you speak to something more specific, um, like some of the challenges that you think you faced as a manager? Like if your staff came to you with a specific issue and you felt like this was a little bit more challenging because of COVID? I would say the most challenging has been in our department, we were still eager to provide this very meaningful service. We knew that with the social distancing, that there were going to be extreme cases of isolation. Mm-hmm. There were going to be a lot of individuals who uh, had other, that had co-occurring concerns that would be uh, highlighted because of the social distancing and the, the uh, cut down of face-to-face services. And so we made a decision to continue to try to be as present as we could by utilizing different workspaces that would allow a little bit more distance, but still a lot of face-to-face. So I think coming into contact with certain staff members who oppose that Mm -hmm. or certain staff members who uh, unfortunately were unable to adequately and in a more transparent way uh, verbalize their desire not to do it, but then try to show up. Okay. With okay. that. Yeah. And, and, that. and you would see that watered down version of service. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so trying to create space for them and what they were feeling, not necessarily agreeing with how they chose to address it, uh, but then meeting them in a place where we could just honestly talk about what exactly is the most healthiest way to deal with that respecting that you are impacted in this way how can we be on the same page and and provide the best service so that was and is still the most challenging uh but again just trying to create an environment where people can feel safe to express exactly what they're feeling even if that is directly opposing what the majority may have decided is best for the organization okay yeah yeah, because, you know, fear was a real thing for people, you know, being sick. And we don't know what their underlying uh, medical history is. So they come to the table with that as well. So I can understand that. So did you find that that was challenging for you to see that other side? Or did you quickly pick up on that? Both. Okay. Um, I always like to believe that everyone that comes to do this work already has the capacity to be as selfless as they need to be as the time ask them to be that is unfair for me to assume i that was everyone, getting ready to say you said everyone <laughs> yeah that's that's unfair and so it's been both uh once i see it i have to adjust to it again i always preach being positively present so i have to then take my own advice and say okay again i don't necessarily like how that's going but what is the most healthiest place i need to be in to, to support them so they can feel supported and still try to get the most out of them to ultimately accomplish what it is we want, and that is to provide service to our people. Okay. okay. So we spoke a little bit about how you interact with your staff. So Mm -hmm. you providing services, being this manager, being a clinician, and then you have to come to work with your own stuff. Do you feel like your leadership supported you or they could have been a little bit, there could have been some ways they could have supported you more? In that sense, I would say my leadership was incredible uh, because they encouraged all of this time and space, the decompensation, uh, the the space to talk and, and, and maybe process through what I was feeling uh, more than ever before. So I think 
that's something that has culminated over years of us trying to promote that environment for mm -hmm. each other. And so it was perfect timing that during COVID, the acceptance level around that was at an all time high. So I would say uh, that was pretty great on their part. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the relationships you had already in place played a part of how they provided support. Definitely. And I was already one promoting this authenticity. I was already the one promoting mirror talk. I was already the one promoting leading with your imperfections. And so I was doing a lot of modeling around saying what I feel so it doesn't fester or asking permission to vent in this way and that way and encouraging my leaders to do the same because none of us were doing it uh, as healthy as we should. So we were all growing to a place where it culminated at the right time, where people were more open to listening, but then they themselves becoming more open to share. Okay. Yeah. I like that. I like that. That's amazing. You know, because a lot of people don't feel supported and did not feel supported as they moved through the pandemic while taking on all these different stories and uh, experiences of the clients that they serve. So, you know, we're the dumping ground for that. So people have to have space to get rid of that also. And in other ways, how did you feel like you did your form of self-care? What was your form of self-care? Did it change during the pandemic? That's a great question. I was listening to something you just said. I'll come back to that. But as it relates to this question, <clears throat> again, I think my structure for me, it was it's gym in the morning every morning. I think it's really, really good for me. Sometimes I wake up around 4 a.m., get in the gym a little bit before 5 and go to about 6.37. And so that I can feel that mentally and physically kind of lasting for mm -hmm. most of my day at work. Uh, it slows me down. I'm able to just be in each moment as they come. And so uh, and then just eating healthier and then after work, uh, adding no other task on going right home. Okay. And disconnecting, okay. which is something when you first met me, I did, did not, not know how do. to do. You did not do. I never cut it off. Would run until what, 10, 11 o'clock at night sometimes, yeah. yes. you know, and yes. whether that's you still doing um, sponsorship and other um, uh, volunteering throughout the city for yes. different reentry programs and things like that. Yeah. Because um, that is your passion. Yeah. So. Showed up, showed up for it all. But my passion was getting me mentally and physically in trouble. And so. I've definitely gotten better with that. And so for me, that's that's really improved the quality of my being uh, in terms of my self-care. Oh, you talked about something that uh, I sparked. So what was that? Uh, one of the things that I've noticed about leadership. Well, let me back up. The bigger the organization, the different departments, what I found was that uh, my department were on the ground directly providing service. Mm -hmm. What I think, and this is not a knock on them, what I think, what I know happened is that they could not understand that experience. It was just impossible for them to know what the risks were, what our fears were, mm -hmm. how we were compartmentalizing to continue to be present and ultimately put ourselves at risk, at risk. to contract the very thing that the policies were being put in place to kind of mitigate. And so... <laughs> I think different departments were just could not fathom what we were going through in that sense. And so, and thus could not provide support more than our immediate supervisors Supervisor. could. Okay. So okay. I will say that I wanted to add okay. that. So it was a little, yeah. a level of disconnect. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so let's talk a little bit about your personal life. Uh, what sure. have you learned about yourself um, during mm. this pandemic? Or what do you think that was the most surprising thing that you learned about yourself? Oh, that's so much. Uh, I, I'll start by saying I, I'm a, if anyone knows me, they know I always talk about intrapersonal, you know, and people say interpersonal and you look in the dictionary, inter always comes up. Intra doesn't get a, a good shot of, of people's time, but it is absolutely the most important. What I found out with looking at myself more, having all this extra time to look at me, it has exposed uh, a sense of self-centeredness, uh, some selfishness. Those two sound the same, but all a little different. And life, the things that I've been missing in terms of like showing up for my mother or my stepfather mm -hmm. or uh, my daughter or how much time I was investing in them. Uh, what COVID did was give me more opportunity to get in spaces with them that shown things that I had missed. Okay or shown opportunities, things had grown to places that had I seen them, I could have helped maybe prevent some of those things or at least be present to support them in those spaces. And so I felt pretty bad about noticing that. Again, on autopilot, uh, chasing my dreams, operating in my passion, doing really well at it. But then my peripheral was like, okay, there are people in your immediate family who at various coping levels are struggling. Definitely, definitely. And and so I had an opportunity to look at that and it didn't feel good because ultimately I want to serve. So I'm serving at work. Now I need to serve more at home. Okay. And okay. so it, it showed me that. So you, you felt know? like it was an imbalance and then pandemic kind of gave you a different perspective of definitely. how you viewed it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, That's I can one. see that. Mm -hmm. um, so... Do you feel like there was something about yourself personally that you found that was, I would say, uh, new to you, Good new question. aspect of yourself or something you felt like you were ignoring? I, I would say that I found out that my ideal of relationships and what it takes to rightfully be present in each was more of box checking for me mm, okay. pre-pandemic. Okay. And, and because of having way more time to have more conversations, this is interesting because everything I promote is now coming back to me. Oh, you want to have these <laughs> authentic conversations? You want people to get naked? Uh, you want people to be honest? Well, now let's let's check your level of honesty. Let's check your level of sincerity. Let's see how far it goes. And so, uh, so let's stay there for a second. Sure. So, in what sure. ways you felt like you were being dishonest to yourself? Oh, I, I I was being dishonest about my motivations for certain decisions I've made in my personal life. Okay. Uh, relationships that I've gotten into, relationships that maybe I've gotten out of. Uh, my motivations for them became more clear because I had more time to look at myself and ask myself some questions about this uneasiness or this uncertainty that was going on on the inside. And what it enabled me to do was trace back to the true origins of my motivations. Okay. And I had to get honest with some people and say, Hey, 
I made this decision to go this route with you, but I didn't share all of why I did that. And now we are experiencing this turbulence in the relationship because I didn't bring my authentic self there. And so again, pre-COVID, that stuff can be kind of hidden, but COVID kind of exposed that. And because I want to be true to myself, good, bad, or indifferent, I wanted to own those things and feel what I needed to feel. And so it's, it's a humbling uh, situation, but. So COVID through that increased isolation. Through that increased you know. isolation gave me more time to look at me and in here in silence, you know, I say meditation is for you to hear. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so the more I meditated, I could hear the truth about me speaking louder. Okay. Things that I told myself, it's almost like the story I would tell about an incident for 20 years, I would tell it a certain way. <laughs> and then I realized one day, like, Carl, that didn't happen that way. Oh. That's that's not what really happened. You like to embellish that. And you've done it so well, you've made it true. But it's not true. So now I'm intrigued. So I need to see an example. Give me a story about that. Well, I'll, I'll tell you my... When I got to a place where I was still trying to blame the outside world for the conditions of how my life was, whether it was through jails, institutions, negative relationships, the way I was treating myself, I always looked outward to find out where the origins of those things were and who to blame for them. Okay. Okay. And whatever that story looked like, the group homes, the arrests, everything it was, I try to make it as uh, uh, pity, pitiful Carl laced as I could, so okay. to speak. And uh, in that, I wound up stretching out times and in and, and places. And, oh. and, you know, I just made it just as grandiose as I could make it okay. because I wanted the person hearing it to maybe reserve a real soft place for me to say, oh, poor Carl. Okay. okay. And as I grew and, and began to look at myself, I realized... Some of those were lies. You you did not do this much time here. You've done that much. Oh, wow. It wasn't for that. It was for this. And your mom said that, but that didn't mean that that was okay for you to go do that. And so through this work on myself, I learned about something about me. If I don't run these things by people, Carl, you won't separate fact from fiction. You will create your own story and then go with it. Okay. Yeah. So that's a humbling piece too, but. So your mirror and that introspection became amplified through the pandemic. Always. It, it, it just grew. Everything was more. And the more I learned, the more I did not accept the first answer I gave myself. So the pandemic also helped me with that. Like, okay, you heard that. Now let's sit a little bit longer. Let's think a little bit longer. Let's figure out what the real truth let's is. Let's figure out. And okay. so. The truth and then the naked truth every single time. And so, yeah, the pandemic is definitely, it's almost like walking around with headphones on that counsel out all outside noise. Mm -hmm. And now I'm seeing how those things can distract you and have you justifying certain behaviors, justifying your response to people, jumping right over what you're feeling and going right into reacting. So COVID has slowed all that down and and now it's like another voice on my shoulder going you know you preach this are you doing it right now are you doing what you used to do are you embellishing and if so why so is this a new level of accountability for myself definitely okay oh yeah 
So have you truly been holding yourself accountable? Do you feel like you've been doing that in the past or are you really doing it now? You was like you said, you would speak these things, mm -hmm. but are you truly walking in that space? I'm doing better. Okay. I'm just doing better. There's so much more I could be doing because, because let's be honest here. Uh, there's some character defects that I still absolutely love. Okay. Let's right. be clear. And so, yeah. uh, but I own them uh, much better now. And I'm also aware uh, if in fact they can have negative impact on other people. And so I think that's what's getting a little better, but it always comes down to the people that are impacted. Like call the same people that you practice these negative traits and ideas and thoughts with will need to be the same people that show you you're getting better. Okay. You're not going to be able to be the one to do that. And so I try to lessen having those impacts on other people. That's the best I can do right now. Okay. Yeah. That's amazing. So do you feel like you changed as a clinician through that introspection? I think I've just gotten incredibly better at reserving space uh, for other um catching my expectations that I place on other people, whether it's my supervisor, mm -hmm. whether it's my sponsor, whether it's the person I'm serving a client, uh, my implicit biases, mm -hmm. my core values, values that when, when they are trampled upon how I react, react to them, to I've gotten so in touch with that, that now I I'm a gatekeeper. I'm a much better gatekeeper. And so it doesn't spill out into my work. Okay. And so the word clinician, when you think about clinical, it actually says to be void of feeling anyway. Yes. And I'm such a feeler. Yes, you are. <laughs> so I've gotten much better with that. And now everything is easier for me because it's almost a principle now. You're very much an empath. Yes. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So now the principle is guiding me versus what I feel. Yeah. So I got some rapid fire um, questions. They call it the Coke question. Sure. So I don't want you to linger to, I want the first thing that comes to your mind. Sure. Um, because of this uh, pandemic, what are you now committed to? Self-care. Okay. okay. Most important. Uh, what are you more observant about? The climate and the people around me. Um, again, the various levels of coping with, 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 with COVID. Okay. Uh, a quick example when i'm driving mm -hmm. uh my impatience okay. has now turned into a lot more patience yeah because you you don't know where other people are you, you're Definitely. watching people that's already on edge okay. because of their inability to cope with this changing time and we've had an increase in the most horrific uh traffic traffic yeah you Definitely. know situations and so uh that is something that that I would immediately say, yeah. Um, do you feel like you're at your most authentic self? No. Okay, that's very honest. Absolutely not. Um, thoughts for the future? To continue to walk into this authenticity, realizing that uh, the people I feel I need around me will probably fall off, but that that may be God's will and not mine. Uh, and that everyone can't go with me where I'm trying to go. Um, and watching my thought life. Uh, a lot of the negativity comes from within my own self, mm -hmm. realizing that a lot of my dreams will die in my head because of my saboteur. 
and that negative self-talk. Uh, so getting better with that. And then the last thing is uh, being quicker to put action behind things that I want to do, ideas that I have, not being afraid to speak them out and to create action plans and link with people like yourself who inspired me to to move along with with some other things that I need to be doing. So that's the future for Carl Boone and and ultimately just want to pour out as much of me as I can into this environment uh, before I leave here. That's amazing. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for being so vulnerable and so open and sharing your experiences through this pandemic. This has been an amazing experience. I'm thank so you. glad to sit here with my friend, Mr. Boone. <laughs> thank you for having me. It goes between Carl and Mr. Boone yes, all the time. Yes, so yes, thank yes. you so much for sitting with the coat. Thank you for having me. All right. All right.